The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Well, thank you for joining me this week. I'm very uh, happy to have all of the great listeners from around the world. It's, it's much appreciated and very exciting. Uh, I love getting your emails uh, and notes from uh, you. Keep them coming. Um, this week's show is really about something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I have on Josh Burson, who I had the pleasure of meeting. I don't know if you remember, Josh, a, a while back in uh, Oakland. And mm-hmm. um, when I was living out in California, and we just really connected with each other. And his research is so phenomenal. I think just about every, well, 60% of the Fortune 100 companies are members <laughs> of uh, Josh's research backbone. I've worked with some of his people in pulling together insights into succession planning and other kinds of things, and it's really phenomenal stuff. I, I have to tell you, Josh, I've used a lot of your research in my writings and, and statistics. It's, it's really, really great stuff. So thank you so much for joining the show. You're welcome. I'm very excited to be here, Linda. Thank you so much for the kind words. I appreciate that. Well, you know, it's it's something. How long ago did you start uh, Burson and Associates? Well, I accidentally started this in 2000 when I was laid off from another <laughs> company, and I didn't know what to do. If you remember, there was a I do remember at the time. Yeah, um, and I just decided, you know, I kind of always wanted to write, so. At the time, I, I was working in, tr- in training, in e-learning, actually, back then, mm-hmm. which was a very hot space. And, um, and I found out this was something I was particularly good at, so that's what I ended up doing for the next 16 years. <laughs> and, and you built it into a phenomenal um, resource for people. I, I think it's one of the, one of the key uh, human resource databases that certainly I go to. Um, to look at, and I know just about everybody else does too. So, what what are you seeing as some of the the the, the big trends that are out there from your point of view, Josh? That are are, are shifting. Well, the really, you know, it's it's it, things have really become very disruptive lately, and I'm not talking about politics, although that's <laughs> part of it too. But yeah. um, there really is a, a very strange disruption going on in most bigger companies and to some degree smaller companies, and that is the um, disruptive impact of digital technologies. Like, I mean, look at Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go yeah. 
has become the fastest growing technology ever invented, and nobody ever dreamed it would happen. And so every company I talk to is facing some digital disruption of their business by somebody else. They're using the crowd, they're using mobile or local or, or some form of artificial techno- intelligence technology or something else, yeah. and they're trying to figure out how do they get there from here. And usually the problem is not understanding the technology, it's the people. We are not innovative enough, we're not creative enough, we're not moving fast enough, our organization structure is in the way. 92% of the companies we surveyed in the last um, Global Human Capital Trend Study, which had 7,000 companies participate, 92% of them said, we're not organized correctly to succeed. And of those 92%, only 16% felt they knew how to reorganize. And I think there's a basically a redefinition of what business is, that it isn't a hierarchical company anymore. It's a network. And, and that is having profound implications on um, how we manage people, people's careers, how we develop people, how we do performance management, all that traditional HR stuff is getting questioned because it doesn't oper- it doesn't you know serve you as well in this new world. So that's kind of what I hear, and I hear this all the time now from companies of all sizes. It's, it's actually quite interesting. Yeah, it is quite interesting, and I'm seeing exactly uh, the, the the same thing that this is really going to be more about. Uh, as you say, networks of people coming together for specific purposes or to solve specific particular problems. They may work together for a couple of years. They may disband. They may reconnect in other kinds of configurations. What would you say the the uh, workplace of the future is going to look like if you had a, a you know a crystal ball, which I think you have. A pretty good crystal ball, actually, <laughs> well, Josh. You know, I, I think I see it very clearly because to some degree I'm living it, you know, as yeah. my, my current home at Deloitte. But um, I think we're going to be, I think most of us will have jobs that are more focused on the work and less on the job title. So we'll work on, well, we might have a job title, but we actually do from a day-to-day basis will vary based on our skills. We'll work on multiple projects and a lot more work will be project-based and a lot less functional-based. Um, we're obviously going to be working highly connected to other people, so we'll be working at off hours, and we're all going to have to learn how to manage our personal time better because you know most people are quite overwhelmed by the amount of technology we have and information we have at work. Um, I think we're going to have to reinvent ourselves every two or three years. You know, if I, if I think about my kids, I have kids in their early and mid-20s, and they're going to probably have 70, 75-year careers, and the rate of obsolescence of most skills is two to three to five years. They're going to have multiple jobs, careers, professions. I mean, we're all going to have to reinvent ourselves a lot more. Uh, We have to get comfortable with that. Um, And we also have to get very, very comfortable with the fact that we're going to work in a highly diverse environment. We're going to be working with people of all ages, all nationalities, all locations, um, even inside of a big company, it's not going to be all the same types of people anymore. And many of the people we'll be working with are likely to be contractors or contingent workers. So um, those are all the things that I see happening. And a lot of companies are not there yet, and a lot of companies are very old-fashioned in their structures still. But they're all but they're getting you know pressure to deal with all of those issues. 
So that that's kind of where I see it. I don't think, but I don't. One of the things I don't think is going to happen, which is a lot of there's been a lot of press on this. I don't think everybody's going to become contingent. I don't think everybody's going to become a contractor or a gig worker. Yeah, I think a lot of people really love being part of an organization. They like being part of a team. I think I think humans are to some degree tribal animals, and we like that. You know, we like that. So so I think companies are still going to exist, and we're still going to have big companies and small companies, um, but there'll be a lot more flexibility in the way we actually get work done. Yeah, I think so too. So what I find very interesting about this is is you said you think your children are going to have careers of about 70 to 75 years? Mm-hmm, probably, yeah. I wow. Mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they, well, if you think about it, I don't know what the, uh, you know, if you, if you listen to the stuff that Kurzweil says and some other of these futurists, the, 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 our longevity is growing at an exponential rate because of medical technology. So, you know, like I'll probably live into my 80s, maybe 90s if I'm lucky, but, you know, there's no reason our kids wouldn't live into their hundreds and they got out of college when they're in their early 20s. Right, 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 <laughs> absolutely. Time. <laughs> yeah, and and you know it, it 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 that's not surprising to me as as you say that because more and more people are are now are working into their late sixties and early seventies. Yeah, and I think that's one of, that's that's part of the part of the d- diversity issue is generational diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that companies are struggling with and not haven't done a super good job in it. So we've all been talking about millennials a lot, but what about the people in their sixties and seventies and eighties? that want to work part-time or want to contribute in some other way. I don't think we've had, as the workforce ages around the world, there's going to be a lot more focus on that segment of the workforce, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. I, you know, it's, it's interesting as you look at the people that are coming out of workplaces now, retiring, uh, more so than any other generation, I think. There are people who are extremely healthy who have another 20, 25, 30 good years ahead of them that are living these phenomenal lives. Um, I know, yeah. At- <clears throat> well, and, you know, there's companies that are good at tapping into that, um, you know, older workforce. Um, and in and, and, and country, if you look at the demographics, say, in Germany, which is actually a little bit of a problem, you know, that, the, the workforce in Germany is reaching the point where it's not regenerating itself. It's actually shrinking Right, um, but they've become very good at 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 various things to to help people work for longer periods of time, you know, without having to work at the same pace maybe when they were younger. So I, I think that's a, that's one of the things we're going to see into the future. Yeah, and you know, so one, an observation that I have is it's always shaped the world since the beginning of time. You know, there's always been a new technology of some sort which has shifted the world in one way or the other. The difference now, it seems, is that the speed of this and the the, the sheer quickness with which we can make some of these adjustments are like 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 you say, po- Pokemon Go. I mean, what was it three weeks ago or four weeks ago? People gen- right. in general started hearing about that. Well, the big, you know, the really interesting thing going on. I'm working on a speech on this. There's this concept of robotics and artificial intelligence yeah. taking over jobs, you know, and then there's a lot of articles that, you know, that Oxford thinks yes. that 47% of jobs are going away and so forth. Um, I would say our research, both personally and at Deloitte, shows that every time these kinds of new technologies enter the workforce, 
they don't actually do away with jobs. They create jobs. They create different jobs. Uh, but that's yeah. the key. Different jobs yeah, with different why, skill why, sets. But that's why we have to be willing to reinvent ourselves. Right. Like, like if, you were, if you were a green eye shade um, financial analyst before Excel was launched, you, were, you probably saw Excel as a job killer, right? Right. But then you realized, oh, wait a minute. If I learn how to use Excel, I can do my job 10 times faster and actually have a better job. Right. So that's what's going on is if you don't if you're not comfortable relearning your your trade or your profession with new tools, you know, you're going to be sitting around with a box of woodworking tools and the next guy's got a lathe and and you're just not they're not you're not going to be able to find a job anymore. So so I think the the the, the acceleration of technology just means that we all have to be a little more, you know, um, vigilant of reinventing ourselves and taking advantage of it. But I don't think the job market's going away. There's always going to be a need for human beings. But but there's a lot of gloom and doom articles out there about this. <laughs> there, there are. I think you're absolutely right. You, you've hit a, uh, a really strong point for me um, because I do think we're, this is not enough of the conversation that we're having on how we keep and get people ready, keep people learning, keep people focused around all these things because there's no way that we're going to be turning back this digital, artificial intelligence, robotics. It, it means that jobs are, are going to be incredibly different. And right. uh, to me, that's where the, you know, the, the rubber meets the road. And I, I think your point is absolutely well taken. We are at break, Josh. Uh, stay with us. We're talking to Josh Burson, one of the leading thinkers in the uh, human resource leadership analytics space uh, researcher around what are some of the trends coming down the pike and what are the things that are going to change. And we're going to be talking a lot about what does this mean for human resources? What does this mean for leadership development? And how do we have to respond to all of this? So stay with us. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers presented by SAP on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 472 5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I have with me Josh Burson, uh, who is founder of Burson & Associates, uh, now part of Deloitte. And we're talking about the trends that he sees and the research that he's doing about what the future of the workplace is going to be like. And Josh, you were saying that 42% of the jobs are going to be going away, but you know that doesn't mean that work is going to be going away. There will be different jobs with different kind of skill sets. What I think is sort of interesting is everything that I've been reading and paying attention to is saying the group of workers that are going to be kind of disenfranchised or that are going to be impacted the most in this wave of digitization are really white-collar, sort of higher-end jobs that mm-hmm. um, before people would sit and, and have to manually do research, as you pointed out, on an Excel spreadsheet, which, you know, you don't even have to use that anymore, um, that those are the jobs that are really going to be affected this time. What's, what's your thought about that? Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, I don't, I don't think this is the first time that's happened. When I was in the 1980s, early 1980s, when I worked for IBM, there was a steno pool of people typing. You mm. probably, I don't know, Linda, if you're as old as me, but those people all became word processors, and I don't know what they're all doing now. So, right. So this is, but the, the jobs, for example, at Deloitte, we have, there's a lot of auditors and actuaries here. Um, and they're, you know, they're mathematicians and they're, they're financial people and they're accounting people. There's a big initiative here to look at technologies that will augment that workforce. So I think we have to look at technology as augmenting us and making us superhuman in a way. And we might have to adjust where we add value. Somebody, I had a really funny meeting with a friend of mine here the other day, and he said, well, look, you know, in the, around the 1800s, we had handsome cabs, and we had people shoveling manure behind the cabs. And now we don't have to have those people shoveling manure anymore. So you could say those jobs went away. Right, exactly. <laughs> but maybe those weren't such great jobs anyway. So, right. so it's, I think, you know, so I don't think anybody should be afraid of this. But, but if you look at technologies like Amazon Echo and Siri and, and you know, Viv and the new technologies that have voice recognition, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to complement and replace some of the customer service roles we have. Uh, they could do a little bit of what salespeople do, but they're not, but so that just means we need to, to look at the role we play as architects, as empathy, as people that have other skills around these things. So I'm not worried about I mean, other jobs, about most jobs going away. I think this is just a particularly unique, you know, speed at which it's happening. Um, yeah. I think where it has, but I think where it's disruptive from an organization standpoint is if the company doesn't, if, if we, and this is where I think HR, a little bit of it's, it's a puzzle for me. So if you're a, if you're a you know, financial services company and you want to apply uh, robotic process automation or one of these other tools, who does that? Does HR do it? Does IT do it? Does operations do it? Does, IT, you know, does operations understand the impact on the workforce? There's, there's some work that has to be done in companies to adapt people to these new experiences so people aren't afraid of it. Because typically companies are afraid of it because it threatens their 
existing incumbent roles, and so then they right. don't adapt it, and somebody else adapts it and disrupts right. them. So, so I right. think that's, it gets back to, you know, how innovative are you as a company? Exactly, and 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 frankly, what your company culture is. You know, if you're right. if if you have an adaptive kind of culture that's open, that uh, you know communicates across lines, that that really has a you know kind of a a team focus is is flexible on how it thinks. The odds of you being more able to adjust ratchet up, I would think. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you think here, Josh, this all says for how we develop leaders for this sort of wild, wild west world that we're coming into? Well, it's a really good question. You know, there's a, the leadership industry, as you know, is, is kind of a, a big, complicated, messy thing with all sorts of books and magazines and articles and training programs and everything. Um, I would say what most companies are currently doing is trying to figure out what, quote, unquote, digital leadership is. And I don't mean digital fluency. I mean leading organizations in the digital age. Because the way companies, the way organizations adapt today is, is very lean, startup-y. Mm-hmm. It's iterative. It's, you have to experiment. You have to be willing to rethink a business model of the business that you're in. And so companies are looking for leaders that have, um, you know, the, the skills of rethinking the business model, experimentation, um, driving and leading teams, um, not fearful of technology. So some of these are typical management skills that innovative companies have had for years, but some of them are skills that are, that are not available in big companies. And they also have to... Um, find leaders that are less focused on the hierarchy and more focused on the empowerment of teams. So a lot of comp- so we're actually doing a lot of work on this. We, we've taken, inside of Deloitte, we have a leadership um, sort of capability model that's been validated with a lot of research. And we've just been looking at the characteristics of digital companies, companies that are very, very fast-moving digital companies. We're finding that a lot of the leadership characteristics are the same, but there's mm-hmm. some things that are highlighted. And so, um, so I think most bigger organizations are looking through their leadership ranks and saying, who do we have that can lead the digital initiative to rethink our customer service, rethink our product strategy, rethink our retail strategy, and so forth? And some of those people are in the company and some of them aren't. So, um, so that's, that's one big thing that's going on. The other thing that's going on, I think, in leadership is promoting people into leadership much, much faster. You know, the, the model that, you know, Linda, you and I gave, kind of grew up with was this idea of the leadership pipeline, you right. know, and you, you know, you go through the five stages and it takes you 20 years and, you know, eventually you reach this p- wonderful pinnacle. People won't wait that long. No. <laughs> you know, people are impatient. So I, I think the new leadership model is you don't wait for people to be ready you assess people based on certain potential characteristics and you let them learn how to lead in the job. They, they learn to lead as leaders and you give them the coach and development and the support to um, develop themselves, um, you know, in, in role. And that means people younger, then that provides opportunity for younger, younger people to move into leadership faster, which is what they want. So, so I think some of the old-fashioned leadership pipeline books and so forth that you and I read Right. Sort of and probably wrote some that. articles in. <laughs> right, exactly. It's the growth mindset idea. <clears throat> yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I think what what else is interesting here is 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 another thing that's going on. The degree and the amount of information that is available to young people today is 20 times what was available when you and I were younger. And yeah. you know, kids at 9 and 10 are so much more are, are so much smarter because they know how to access information in ways that we a never could and uh, they can educate themselves through technology in a way that we never could. So you see kids doing engineering projects today that, you know, people 17, 18, 19, uh, or, you know, college age would be doing. So it's not uncommon in my mind to be thinking that these people are intellectually ready for leadership roles earlier and have to practice that. Earlier, so I, I, I like the discussion that, that that you're leading here, but what does this say, Josh, for the haves and the have-nots, so to speak? This is this is what I worry about because I see those people that are capable of learning, that get themselves into environments that are changing, are gonna soar, but we still have a huge part of our population. Only sixty percent of Americans actually have college degrees. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, I mean, it's, it's absolutely a problem. Um, I mean, I guess there's a couple things. One is, you know, I, I don't focus so much on the education industry, and I, I think it's got plenty of challenges. I think on the corporate side, big companies like where I work right now and, you know, big retailers, and you've seen this from Starbucks and Walmart and AT&T, yeah. they have to provide education and training to the workforce. They have to give people opportunities. And uh, I don't think a college degree is a, I don't think a college degree says much about who you are as a person and how you're going to perform. It simply says that you've proven you can go through that process. Right. And so, um, so one of the solutions is that the employers out there who need to hire people at a, on scale have to offer the educational opportunities so these people can learn. Obviously, the government has to um, facilitate this through all sorts of job training programs, but I think it's also a mindset shift, and I don't want to get caught in political stuff because Deloitte won't be happy about that, but... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it would be easy to do that, idea, though. But this idea that you're going to, that jobs are going to come back, you have to reinvent yourself. I mean, that's right. just the way the world is. Jobs don't right. come back. Right. Um, the green eyeshade jobs in Wall Street are gone. Correct. Um, but there's new jobs. And you can sit and wait, but they're not going to come back. And, and that's just right. the way the world works. I, I, start, you know, I got out of college and studied mechanical engineering, worked in an oil refinery, and now I'm doing something completely different. Now, you know, I could have stayed in that industry and probably reinvented myself in that industry, but, you know, I chose to do something else. I think everybody has to do that. And I, I do believe in, you know, the capabilities of everybody. I don't think you have to go to college to be smart and, and learn things. There's, there's content and training and education online for free. All you need is access to the Internet. Um, right. I think people need to give you – there's probably a need to give people who haven't been to college some guidance on how to find that information and, and how to use it. But, but I think everybody's capable of, of educating themselves. Well, I, I totally agree with you, and I think that you know, kids are showing that now. In, uh, and, and there are some new models out there for, for educating uh, children and 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 others. I just had Kathy Salet. I don't know if you know her uh, on the show last week. She wrote uh, Performance Breakthrough. I mean, she's a brilliant woman. 
her formal education was not past, uh, uh, I think it's, you know, junior high. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I totally agree with you. Education is going to be on its, on its side and has to really think that. And I think companies have to rethink how they educate their, their folks as well. You know, I want to get into how do you think... HR needs to respond to all this. It's been a big, huge debate out of the over, you know, and I know you've been in the middle of it about whether, you know, HR is relevant anymore, if it's really going to be more the leader's job or, or manager's job to, to really take care of HR. And HR often is stuck in some of these old paradigms. What are your thoughts there, Josh, and what have you researched around that? Oh, boy. <clears throat> well, there's, there's a couple things going on. One is this thing we call digital HR, and we, we're not exactly sure. We haven't written the paper on it yet, but we're working on it. Basically, HR has to become much more agile, just like the rest of the business, and practice things like design thinking, um, and focus on the employee experience. So, you know, you, the ideas of, you know, we talked briefly about performance management. The idea that HR is going to develop a big performance management process and you know, put it into the core ERP system and roll it out and teach everybody how to use it, that's not going to work. So the HR professionals have to be much more comfortable building, doing a hackathon on a new program, trying it out, iterating on it, improving it every week, and really focusing on design thinking so people actually enjoy the HR, the experience of using whatever it is that they built. Because people don't have time to do one more, you know, multi-step HR process um, you know, most of the time. That's one huge area. The second huge area in HR, of course, is the growth of analytics. And this is an area of HR that's finally taking off where we're, we're really beginning to look at all the data we have about people in an organization to figure out what drives performance, what drives um, engagement, what drives, who the, you know, what are the kinds of experiences that lead to great leadership skills and so forth, so that that is really growing. The the adoption of analytics doubled last year. We've written a lot of papers on that, and I see just a tremendous amount of maturity and people moving into HR from other analytics domains to look at the people data that they have to make more sense of it. And then the third thing I'll just briefly mention is that I think the HR organization as we know it is going to go away, and it's going to be more like a platform. Um, you know, we have these service centers and we have these centers of excellence and HR business partners, and those are all artifacts of an older model of HR where HR is a service to the business. Really, the, what we really need to think about, what all our research has shown, is the most valuable thing HR can do is teach the managers and help the managers run the business themselves without the help of HR, to be honest. And I think in order to do that, HR becomes much more of a platform of services and tools, um, almost like a wall plug. And you plug in, you get access to certain things that employees or managers use, and a lot less of the HR administrator, HR bureau uh, sort of, uh, you know, partner, those roles. People are questioning them all the time. I mean, every major company I've talked to in the last year has said, we, we need to know what, what to do with our business partners. Should they be senior people? Should they be specialists? Should they be, and ideally, they should be consultants. They should be advisors. That's what I think. There you go. Let's hold that thought, Josh. We're at, at, uh, we are at break. Um, okay. talking to Josh Burson, 
Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about performance management, the maelstrom that's swirling around around that. I want to get into the emotional connection that seems to be such a big part. And what HR's role should be morphing into, I would argue, more of organizational consultants than anything else. So stay with us. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. If you are a small business owner or entrepreneur, you may not be aware of the different options available to you in securing business capital in today's market. We discuss and explore these options each week on Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. There are two primary ways of building business capital. Profits, which are basically higher revenue and reduced expenses, and external or debt capital. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Hi, welcome back. Uh, this is Linda Sharkey. I'm talking to Josh Burson from Deloitte. Um, we are talking about workplace trends and research that he sees. And we were just having a conversation about HR value. And Josh, you were saying that you really saw their value as teaching managers how to run the business. But you were getting into really being more of a consultant to the organization. Can you say more about that? Sure. You know, the, um, if you look back at the history of HR for the last 10 or 20 years, you know, it started as, a, as an administrative function, <clears throat> you know, basically processing paychecks and so forth. And all of that stuff has slowly been automated more and more and more. And these days we all walk around with computers, you know, basically attached to our hips that are powerful enough to do almost every possible transaction. So 
if the technology, if the HR technology is good, <clears throat> which is definitely a role of HR, and we can, you know, clock our time and manage our expenses and look at the goals of our people and so forth using those tools, then what the HR professional should be doing is advising and consulting with team leaders on how to hire people better, how to better organize the team, how to coach people, um, you know, how to deal with performance problems, the things that leaders struggle with because they're oftentimes in leaders, leadership roles for the first time or they've never seen that situation before. That's where I think HR can add the most value. Now, getting to that point is hard because all the transactional things that have to happen still have to get done and they have to get done right and well. So most HR departments spend a significant amount of time um, struggling with the service delivery part of the, of the um, function, but more and more of that is being automated by these cloud platforms. So, <clears throat> so I, I would agree with your comment earlier that the, you know, the best HR organizations that I run into are filled with people that are really like consultants. Yeah, and um, and that makes that adds value. That's the, you know kind of the same idea we talked about earlier. That's the direction that I think HR is going. I think so too. And and you know I, I remembering back when we first started talking, one of the problems with HR at that at that at a time was that the technology platforms just didn't communicate with one another. It was very hard to get big data and see the analytic big picture. So people were struggling more with getting the technology platforms than really looking at what's the information telling us, how can we correlate some of this information to, 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 to see this bigger picture. And, and the second thing is that I, I like your take on this. I'm wondering how many HR people really function from your point of view at that consulting level. What's, what's the mix as you see it now? Um, that's okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's more every year. It's probably, you know, one out of five maybe companies. I'm talking about companies. In mm -hmm. terms of the broad HR community, um, the HR profession, you know, I, the best I can figure out, there's, you know, somewhere six, seven, eight million people in this profession. Mm -hmm. And they do have sort of a silo set of jobs. There's a bunch of people that do recruiting. There's a bunch of people that do learning. There's a bunch of people that specialize in, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and so the number of people that are truly consultants is probably a small percentage. Um, but of the big companies that I get to talk to, I'd say maybe one out of five, one out of six, one out of seven are, are really getting there in this model. We, we do some research. One of the, we do this. We, there's a series of questions we ask every year on the capability of the HR department. And I noticed this, and, and you know, two years ago, it was sort of a C minus, D plus. Yep. Last year it was like a C minus. This year it jumped up to, to like around a C plus, B minus. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a fair amount of reinvention going on in the profession. And I think it's because the technology has gotten better. So yeah. there's, you know, there's less focus on that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, th I think that that's really true. I wanted to ask you, I, I know you've done a lot of research around the performance management, um, and, and if you go to any of the, any hangouts where people are talking about this stuff and, you know, read articles about it, there's a big debate and, you know, on rankings and we should be keeping rankings and, 
you know, performance management matters and all of that stuff. But I, what I, your research really resonated with me, and actually I had the number wrong. You corrected me that only 12%, I think you said, of the companies saw any value in performance management systems, period. Can you say more about that, Josh? Yeah, that, no, that was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. So I think yep. that percentage is a little bit better now. But, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, there was a huge wave for a decade of putting in very um, automated goal management systems with lots of forms and lots of, you know, numbers and, and ratings and force rankings and so forth. And that was really the market that success factors started and everybody else jumped into. And everybody it makes my skin crawl, Josh, because I was one of the people that had to run some of those. <laughs> yeah, you know, so everybody bought all that stuff and, not, and implemented it. And now they're realizing, wow, that's a lot of work and it's actually not adding that much value. Right. And it's, it's you know, Deloitte, you know, assessed that it was taking a million hours a year to do the performance process and nobody liked it. So there's a pretty big theme of reinventing it, blowing it up, redesigning it, whatever you want to call it. And that includes reducing the amount of time spent on it, making much more, making it much more of a continuous process, not once a year, getting rid of the ratings and making it much more um, developmental and focused on strengths, evaluating people on multiple criteria, not just not giving people one number at the end of the year, um, creating more agile goal systems so goals can be updated regularly and shared transparently, creating more feedback um, and, and including regular feedback to the manager so the manager gets rated as well as the people. Um, so there's, there's like six or seven pretty major things going on out there. I just did a webinar on this morning, and it's really picking up. I mean, it's picked up a lot of speed. I mean, it's hard to find a company that isn't either reimagining, reinventing, or in some process of rolling out a new process right now. Yeah, I think that's really true. And when you think about what performance management was all about, it was really to to help people be better at what they do and and to drive more excellence, uh, not really to, to manage to the mean and get people all waxed up about whether you're a five or a one or a three, which is what the systems tended, tended to do. Which leads me to the next question. In my mind, I think the whole talent management process has got to be rethought. Because if the workplace is going to be that fluid, as, and which I think it is, and it's moving in that direction, you're not going to have employees for 10, 15 years. You're not going to have people where you're going to say, oh, well, this has, these are my you know, seven-year top talent and top 10%. It's really more about what's your strategy and do you have the skill sets to do the strategy and who needs to be developed and who needs to move into other experiences so that we can innovate the way we, we need. I, I think that whole talent management piece has got to be completely rethought. I love your perspective. I completely agree, and we're having a little debate around here about that because we, we really built a lot of talent management IP. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we helped define what talent management is. I totally agree. I, I, I wrote a big piece on this, which was called something like the death of talent management and the emergence of people management. Mm -hmm. and, and I do think that is happening in that, you know, we can't predict somebody's going to be with the company for 20 years. And issues like the work environment, the work experience, the culture are what drives performance now. So we need to spend more time on the employee experience and less time on the quote-unquote traditional 15-year you know, talent management process. Now, 
Um, even though that sounds good in theory, what I've actually found is that most companies haven't done that yet. Most companies are still doing talent management. They're right. still, predi- still going through all that stuff, succession management, everything else, because they do have a lot of people that, are, that have been around a long time that are going to stay, and they have senior leadership pipeline issues. So I don't think we've figured out how to do um, agile people management yet. Um, you know, the folks at Workday, for example, and SAP and Oracle – are trying to figure out how to take the tools they have and make them, um, you know, for example, you know, rather than go through a, a talent review and then get assessed against the next job, you know, maybe the job should be, rec- maybe, this, maybe the, the systems, the HR systems should recommend the next job to you based on your experience and based on what other people have done. And you can shop around online and find the next job in the company. Yeah. Um, now, there are a lot of cultural things that have to be there to make that work, but... Those are the things that I think, you know, would inv- would define people management. And I agree with you. I think talent management, honestly, has kind of come and gone, but it'll be a while before the phrase uh, disappears. But I, yeah. I totally agree with I think it is going to be a while before the phrase disappears because it's been my experience, and I don't have the research uh, to, to back this up the way, way you do, that it, just like any new thing, because talent management came into four about 20 years ago, I guess, or something like that, uh, you know, that the adapters were into it early on, like GE and other places, but then other people, you know, they are just catching up to some of that. And it's going to take a while for people to move away from this notion of top 20, middle 50, or whatever it is, who's, your, you know, who's your best, who's your, because the question is really, do you have the people skills and the emotional connections of people to do what you need to get done that's the question right right exactly and and the and the the process of talent management is actually just a little bit slow um, yeah the old-fashioned way so totally i think the performance management thing might be the i actually think the reinvention of performance management might be the um, the straw that's going to break the camel's back. Because once people do away with that and they change the way that people are evaluated and rated, then the rest of this stuff has to come along with it. So that, that may be the beginning of, of changing the way we think about talent management. <clears throat> yeah, I think so too. I, I work with a lot of companies and they're much more receptive now to be thinking at it as, as a strategic connecting piece as opposed to uh, ranking top talent and, and uh, you know the succession plans and all of that. So, Josh, we are at break again, but um, stay with us, everyone. We have a couple of questions that have come in from the field. Uh, Want to talk about what the workplace of the future is going to look like from your point of view. That is a question that's come in. So stay with us. We're talking with Josh Burson from Deloitte, leading researcher and founder of Burson & Associates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host, and I have with me today Josh Burson, and we're having a great conversation about how things are really going to change and quickly and are already changing quickly. Three questions have come in, Josh. The first question is, what do you see as the biggest thing on CEOs' minds? What are are the things that they worry the most about relative to their people? Well, I would say, you know, I'd say number one is performance. Obviously, CEOs want people to get their jobs done, so that that's never going to go away. Um, but, but underneath that is definitely very, very close. Um, do we have the right level of culture and engagement in the company to create a, um, a strong brand and a strong collaborative culture? I hear this a lot. And, um, you know, business leaders are now quite sensitive to this. It was the number two issue in the global human capital trends last year. It was the number three and four issue this year. It jumped up in importance. So um, we actually have, and when companies go through a merger, an acquisition, a divestiture, um, and they look around and they see the performance is not what they expected it to be, they, well, what is it about our culture that's not working, you know? And the third is leadership, you know, and I think CEOs are constantly, you know, forced to make decisions about who's going to run this and who's going to run that and who's going to be in charge of this and who's going to be in charge of that. And, and they're, you know, those are very, very difficult decisions. So that's where HR has to help them is finding the right leaders and helping them assess who's going to be the most successful in a given role. So those are the three things that I would say are the most um, CEO-driven yeah, I think culture is, is is becoming very, very clear. But 20 years ago, that was that soft, fluffy stuff. And now it's really becoming clear that you can have the best strategy and the best systems. But if you don't have the right culture, it ain't going to happen. Right. So well, Part of that is because, and just one comment on that. Part yeah. of that is because the way businesses work, people don't operate in this top-down, um, do-what-they're-told manner anymore. It's right. much more of a bottoms-up, team-centric company. So if the culture is dysfunctional, the teams don't work well together, and um, and things, you know, you can't. It's not like a forced army. You can't you can't march in one direction anymore. So so culture is really critical issue right yeah. now. Yeah, I think so too. And how does that connect with the values? And then I have two other questions I have to ask you that came in. But how how, did, how does that connect with the leaders and their values from your point of view? Well, I think culture is broader than values. Values are the things that um, define, you know, your company's purpose and mission. At least that's the way I would use the word. Uh, You know, are 
are you a are you here to make money? Are you here to make people healthy? Are you here to make people happy? What, you know, what is the purpose of the values of your company? And and around that, uh, you know, if you look at companies like J and J, and you look at their credo, you know, it's about it's about health and wellness. Yeah, yeah, and they and they do sell band aids and they make drugs and do all sorts of other things. But it's very clear why everybody is there. Some companies don't have that. Some companies do. It's a really important, I think. Um, measure of an enduring company. And then culture is a bunch of other things. Culture is, um, do people feel empowered? Um, do we have a sense of um, compliance or are we a sense of innovation? Um, do people feel comfortable making decisions on behalf of customers or do they do what their bosses say? There's all sorts of other things that are in the culture side that I think are more operational. So I think culture is, in some sense, a lot of operational things that happen um, during the day while people, you know, how people make decisions under uncertainty and why they make the decisions they do. So culture can be very actually operational. Yeah, I, I think you're right. We have another question. Uh, this is from Amit from San Jose. And, and uh, what he's asking is, you know, with all this technology and digitization, what is the requirement, so to speak, for emotional connection of people, if it's going to be so fast-paced, if it's uh, jobs are going to be relatively short-lived, how, how do you get the most out of people from an emotional point of view, and how important is that going to be? Well, it's really important. You know, I, I like to use the word inspiration. Uh, some people, some leaders, many leaders, and hopefully this is, I think, is a characteristic of high-performing leaders, are very good at communicating a vision and a direction that people can get excited about. And you find most high-performing companies have somebody like that. You don't have to be a showman and you don't have to be a, you know, a really big extrovert to do that, but great leaders um, have a sort of a soul. They understand where the soul of the business is. They can translate it into value to stakeholders, not just to financial numbers. And they know how to communicate that. And, and I think that, that sense of inspiration is a really important thing in leadership. And people that move into leadership have to learn how to do that. They have to learn how to communicate in a way that people will, um, will feel it in their heart. And, and, um, and I think that's usually a sign of a great company when there's someone in the company that's doing that. And it's usually the CEO, not always. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, this this one last question. We're really coming short of time, but what one piece of advice do you have for HR? And this is from Lucy, uh, and Lucy's in Kansas City. Um, well, Lucy, I would say you know you probably know a lot about HR and about technologies and tools and practices and and things about HR. I would say the most important thing is to figure out what it is where how your company makes money. What is it about your company that makes them unique and successful? And how can you translate your HR expertise into that? Um, that's the toughest part, is taking all of the technical skills. We're, we're basically technical people in HR. We have technical skills in people management. How do we apply that to our company, the particular organization we're a part of, to help it perform better? And that means you have to know sort of how, how the company makes money, where the core competencies are, what is the, the true customer value. 
And so I think reading the Wall Street Journal and getting to know the business community that, you commu- that you're part of, know- knowing your competitors, talking to your salespeople, that- that's what I would give most HR people advice. If they yeah. do more of that, they're going to be more relevant. Josh, thank you so much. We are up against the clock here. Um, if you don't belong to Burson and Associates uh, and you don't have a membership, you ought to get one because the stuff that comes out of there is really, really fabulous. Thank you, Josh. I so appreciate you being with Thank us today and I uh, look forward to seeing you again. Very much, Linda. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.